you could uh, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians 3, verse 10. It says there, Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, I want to know him. He's talking about Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Praise God. Does it, anybody think they need to know the power of God's resurrection in their life today? I don't know about you, I am in desperate need of knowing the power of God's resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul writes, I, I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There's a few fewer amens on that one. I don't really want to know his, <laughs> the fellowship of his suffering, if I'm quite honest with you. But here's why Paul wanted to know it. It says, becoming like him in his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew that the way to walk in the resurrection power of Jesus, the way of knowing Jesus was first to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. <clears throat> A lot of us don't want, <laughs> we, we want to skip ahead to the resurrection, don't we? Most of us don't want to join him in the fellowship of his sufferings first. Well, this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about joining Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings, because that's how we enter into walking with him in the, the power of his resurrection. Um, Lent, uh, it's our, our kind of church, Pentecostal church, independent, governed uh, church, non-denominational we, uh, we don't usually, uh, over traditionally, we don't really observe Lent, but it's something the church has been doing for 2,000 years almost, and, uh, and, and we've been doing it for a, a really good reason. See, Lent, what it's, it's, it's uh, 40 days, uh, it's the 40 days before Easter. Of course, what do we celebrate on Easter? Resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. It's the, the high point, the pinnacle of the, the year for, for all Christians is this day we celebrate uh, his resurrection. And so very appropriately, just like in, in, in accordance with what Paul writes here, uh, Christians have known that we need to first know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. And so we've taken traditionally these 40 days before Easter to prepare ourselves and it commemorates Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And even though Jesus was preparing in those 40 days, he was preparing, of course, for his, uh, for his three and a half years of public ministry, 
but he was also, even then, he was preparing for his uh, day on the cross. He was preparing to surrender himself completely to God, uh, completely to the Father, and give himself completely on the cross. And, and those 40 days were very important for him in preparing himself for that. And so, in the same way, in imitation of Jesus, we are taking these 40 days to really join him in his suffering. Now, some of you are like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> We've got a few visitors today who are like, I didn't know I was going to walk into that kind of church. I don't want 40 days of fellowshipping with Jesus' sufferings. Um, uh, but let, let me, I'm, I'm going to explain a little bit uh, about this. So the, the um, uh, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, why this is, this is so important. Um, traditionally during Lent, uh, there's, there's uh, these practices we do with fasting, prayer, uh, we dig deeper into community, um, we dig deeper into sharing and evangelizing and spreading the good news. We do all these things during Lent traditionally, and, and we're going to do all those things. I'm going to talk about that in a, in a little bit and how we're going to do that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, we're going to go through the word today first. And before I explain what we're going to do, I want to explain kind of why we're doing it. So <clears throat> what we're going to do, I don't have a PowerPoint today because we are going to breeze through the scripture so fast, you're not even going to know what hit you. <clears throat> uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, we are, we, just last week, Pastor Steve uh, walked us through chapter 9, Paul's amazing conversion. Well, we're still in the book of Acts. We're going to stay in the book of Acts for the next several, next, well, for quite a while, actually. Uh, but today what I want to do is I want to zoom out. We've been going through chapter by chapter by chapter, and today I want to zoom out, and I want to talk to us today about the big picture of what's happening in, in Acts. Okay, so are you ready? You, you, you might not even have a chance to turn there, okay? So maybe you just want to write this down if you want to go back and look at it later. First, uh, uh, an overview of Acts chapters 1 and 2. Okay, somebody tell me. What is our theme for the year? God's overflow, okay? We are celebrating and commemorating and digging deep into and diving into uh, the overflow of God's abundant heart for us. Um, and so my question is, where are we seeing the overflow of God's goodness and his grace in the book of Acts? All right, chapters 1 and 2. It starts out in chapter 1, verse 3, where Jesus says, after he had suffered and died, then he presented himself to the church alive through many proofs, through many signs. And so we first see the overflow of God, the overflow of his goodness and his mercy and his grace to us. We first see it in God giving us himself in the person of Jesus. That's the foundation of the whole overflow, is that God is giving us himself. That, I, I, we've said this many times, God can't give you anything higher and better than himself. He could give you an ocean of happiness, he could give you a mountain of gold, and that would pale in comparison to the gift he wants to give you in giving himself, okay? And we see that the book of Acts starts out uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, he gives himself. He gives himself to us in his suffering, it says there in verse 3. And he gave himself in his 
death, and he gave himself alive, okay? In that one verse, in that one sentence, we got his, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection all there in one verse. He's giving himself to us. He's presenting himself to us. Um, and so that's the beginning of God's overhaul. That's the foundation of all of it. <clears throat> then in verse 2, chapter 2, verses 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, we find out God gives himself even more to us in giving us his spirit. Okay, what does it say there? It says that, uh, you know, they were all together praying and suddenly this great rushing wind came upon them and Jesus had promised them in chapter 1, verse 8, said, wait in Jerusalem for the gift that I'm going to give you. The gift was again himself. The Holy Spirit isn't just a force. The Holy Spirit isn't just a power. The Holy Spirit isn't just a fancy thing that happens to you. The Holy Spirit is God giving you himself. The Holy Spirit is God. And so here we have in chapter 1, God gives himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, God gives himself to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So here it is, God giving, giving, giving. This is where we see the overflow. And then, of course, with the giving of himself in, in the Holy Spirit, uh, we, there's this gift of tongues, and, and tongues are cool not just because they're cool. <laughs> tongues are amazing because that signified the end of the curse of the Tower of Babel. If you remember, in chapter 11 of Genesis, the, 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 um, uh, the, because of their pride, because they were trying to build a tower up to heaven by themselves, uh, that, that God uh, gave them over to confusion, confused their tongues, and they were scattered over the whole earth. That's the source of all of our problems. That's the source of all of our uh, conflicts today on the earth, I should rather say. The conflicts that's going on between Russia and Ukraine has its roots in the Tower of Babel, <clears throat> uh, the confusion of languages. And here, on the day of Pentecost, it's all reversed in the gift of tongues that signifies that curse is over now. Now, the people of God are going to be able to communicate with each other, and they are going to be able to glorify God together. And this day of Pentecost and the gift of tongues also signifies that heaven and earth, we no longer have to build a tower up to heaven. Heaven is coming down. Heaven is coming down to us there. And this signifies on that day when Jesus returns, uh, and there's, he's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth here. Where this earth isn't, it's, it's going to change, but he's setting it up here on earth. Uh, so heaven is coming down, and, and the day of Pentecost signified that to us. And the day of Pentecost also signified in, in, the, in the spreading of, of, of the gift of tongues and languages from all over the world, that meant the gospel was going to go all over the earth. That meant it's no longer just for the Jews. The good news, the light of God is no longer just for the Jews, it's for the whole earth. And of course, it also signified the empowerment of the people of God. From this point on, the people of God would no longer operate in their own strength and their own energy. From this point on, the people of God were going to operate in the power of God himself. Among us. God himself among us. So that's the beginning of the overflow. That's how it starts. Pretty amazing start. But there's resistance, isn't there? In chapter 2, verse 13, it says the people are mocking them. They see the signs and wonders, and they interpret it as the people must be drunk. So there's resistance. But guess what? That resistance 
in, in, in God's crazy way of doing things, that resistance turns into an opportunity for more overflow. It's an opportunity for more overflow because guess what? This is because of the mocking, Peter stands up and gives his first sermon in response to the mocking. And we find out in his first sermon that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. We also find out that the resurrection is a fulfillment of Psalm 16. We all, and, then, and then what's the result of this sermon? 3,000 new people in one day become Christians that day. This little group of 120 people, you know, that's about us when, when uh, we're, we're gathered here, uh, suddenly in a day, in a moment, become a three, over 3,000 believers. <clears throat> more overflow. So the resistance led to more overflow. And then guess what happens in the, in, in, towards the end of chapter 2? Uh, verses 37 through 41, a new community is created, and this new community models the new humanity. Before this, all humans operated in the spirit of Adam. And what that means is that, that like Adam, uh, we lived for ourselves, we, we did what we wanted to do, we would fight and devour each other and hurt each other, uh, but now there's, in, in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a new humanity, and according to the end of chapter 2, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can live in that new humanity. And guess what? That new humanity, unlike Adam, we can actually reflect the image of God to the world. But before this, under, in, in Adam, we, the image of God in us was broken. And because of the brokenness, the image of God's glory isn't being projected out to creation like what was designed. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 20, 27 through 28, uh, we were given this assignment uh, to, to be the image of God to the world, to project the, to broadcast the image of God out to the world. But because we all live in Adam, we're all born in Adam, we can't. Instead of the light of God pouring out of us, it's this twisted, broken, bent light. Just like what would happen if you smashed a mirror and tried to accurately look at yourself in the, in the you, you wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, but now, because of this new creation through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, this new community can actually live out the image of God. And what did they do? They loved each other. They sacrificed for each other. They cared for each other. They were in unity with each other. Because of that, they could actually broadcast the image of God out to the world. The people, for the first time, could see God in the people of God. That's important. Okay, chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4. Where do we see the overflow of God? Well, we see it, first off, there's this outpouring of miracles. Uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, there, you know, this lame beggar is healed. Um, we see, uh, it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 43, that there were many wonders and signs that were being performed. Uh, and then we also find out, uh, you know, Peter gets to do his second message in chapter 3, verses 11 through 26. So there's more miracles, there's more messages, uh, there's more... Uh, leaders who are, who are stepping up, and we find out in chapter 4, verse 4, that now there's, there's, there's uh, 5,000 more people uh, who are, are added. So, so the overflow just keeps flowing. But there's resistance, isn't there? Uh, in chapter 4, verse 3, we find out that they begin to persecute the, this new fledgling church, and they drag the apostles, they arrest the apostles, and they drag them before the leaders in verse 5, the Jewish leaders. And so there's resistance. But this resistance turns into an opportunity for, guess what? More 
overflow. Why? Well, now the apostles get to stand before the Jewish leaders and tell them the gospel, all right? And a whole bunch of other people here as well. So they get to speak truth to power. And uh, according to chapter 4, verse 13, um, and then also chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, they, they pray for boldness in the face of this persecution. And so, so the persecution actually gives them an opportunity to pray for boldness. Did you know that when you face opposition from other people, people sneer at you, people laugh at you, people mock you for being a follower of Christ, that is actually an opportunity for you to pray for boldness. And that's when you get to be filled with boldness because you're being opposed. Did you know that? The being mocked and scorned and ridiculed for being a Christian isn't an opportunity for you to go hide. It's an opportunity for you to be filled with boldness. And that's exactly what happened to these Christians in chapter 4. And of course, the apostles get released in chapter 4, verse 21. They pray for the church. They, they begin to intercede. This is when the church starts learning how to intercede for people. And they don't just intercede for themselves. They intercede for the Jews. They intercede for the Jewish leaders. They intercede for their enemies. Uh, per persecution is actually an opportunity for you to intercede for your enemies. Did you know that? That's often how the enemies of God get into the kingdom of God is because the people they're persecuting are praying for them. And then according to verse 30, chapter 4, there's more signs and wonders. Verse 31 of chapter 4, there's more filling by the Spirit. And then in chapter 4, verses 32 through 34, there's more opportunity to be a witness of the new humanity, uh, the new creation uh, through Jesus instead of through Adam to the world. They, the world gets to see more of Jesus, more of the image of God lived out in the people of God. Amen? Amen? Okay. Amen. Just making sure we're still awake. Okay. Chapter 5. Where do we see overflow? Well, it begins at the very end of chapter 4, actually, where Barnabas, uh, he's got uh, some money from some property, and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Okay? So Barnabas uh, we, we, we hear about all this generosity, and it kinda, then we zoom in on Barnabas for a brief moment, and, and, and Barnabas gives all this, uh, uh, he, he does this incredibly generous act of uh, selling his property and then laying the money down at the, the apostles' feet, which is, which is, this is another sign of the new humanity. The, the generosity that's unleashed by the people of God um, is, is a sign uh, of, of the image of God in us. But there's resistance, isn't there? Beginning of chapter 5, verses uh, 1 through 4, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, cool, Barnabas, he got all kinds of praise, and woo, maybe we should do the same thing, but we don't really want to give all of it away. So they lie to the apostles, they lie to the Holy Spirit, and they don't uh, give all the money. They didn't have to give any money, by the way. That was, there was a totally free act. Barnabas didn't have to give any of his money. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have to give any money. The problem wasn't that they gave only some of their money, the apostles. The problem was they lied about it. Okay? So they resisted. And this time, resistance isn't just coming from the outside to, against the church. Resistance is actually coming from inside the church. Some of the worst resistance you and I will ever face to the work of God is actually going to come from inside the church, believe it or not. That's sad and scary and heartbreaking, but it's the reality. So resistance, but guess what? There is opportunity for more overflow. The very resistance that they're facing is opportunity for more overflow. According to verse 
12 of chapter 5, there's more signs and wonders in response to this. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to blow your socks off, okay? You guys holding on to your socks. <clears throat> we also find out in chapter 12, when Ananias and Sapphira drop dead, God gives the church another gift, and it's the gift of the fear of the Lord. Now, a few of you said hallelujah. A few of you are like, I do not like where this is going. The fear of the Lord is one of the best gifts God can give you. Uh, it just takes a little bit of Bible study to find out there are so many benefits to the fear of the Lord. I, I do not have time. That's a separate sermon. <clears throat> just a few things so uh, we can remind ourselves. Proverbs says it's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord leads to the knowledge of God. It says that it prolongs our life. It says it gives us strong confidence. It says it, uh, it's better than a great treasure. It says that it keeps us from evil. It says by it we can lead a, a satisfying life and a satisfy we can have a satisfying sleep. Uh, it says it leads to riches, honor, and life. Those are just a few of the benefits of the fear of the Lord. Again, I'm not going to do a sermon on the fear of the Lord because that would take too long. Uh, but God knew that the early church when they were faced with all this persecution, they had no idea what was coming. The worst was yet to come. They had no idea that was coming down the pike. They needed the fear of the Lord to stay grounded in God while the storms of persecution were assailing them, okay? You and I, in the storms that we've been facing these last couple months, you and I need to stay grounded in the fear of the Lord, okay? Not going to do that sermon right now, like I promised. Okay. But then, just as, as I just said in chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, there's more persecution. But there's escapes from prison in chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. Uh, then there's more opposition in um, verses 26 through 32. And, uh, but here, here's the cool thing. The opposition, according to verse 29, gives an opportunity for people to choose Jesus over the easy life. Did you know opposition actually gives you a chance to choose Jesus instead of the easy life, the easier life you think you might be able to have outside of Jesus? More overflow. Okay, moving on to chapter 6. Where do we see overflow? Uh, it begins with God overflowing with more leadership. Okay, part of Pastor Steve's vision for us is, is has been his whole time here is to raise up more leaders, and uh, um, which is a, a beautiful vision. And, and here we actually see it happening for us um, in uh, chapter 6 uh, with God raising up the deacons. And that, of course, frees up the apostles so they can concentrate on prayer and on the word. Um, and then, of course, even the deacons, even though they were, they were supposed to just focus on the practical needs of the church, they actually start preaching too. And, uh, and, then, and then more people's needs get met and, it, and, and they get to, once again, live out as a community the image of God before people. The, 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 the world finally gets to see a God who's generous through the people of God. Um, all because God raised up these, these, uh, these deacons. Um, and then, of course, uh, we see in chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen starts uh, witnessing to the kingdom. Um, and in chapter 7, verse 1, he gets dragged before the leaders again. So the leaders, once again, get to hear the gospel message. But there's resistance, isn't there? There's resistance. Um, uh, in chapter 7, verse 57 through 59, they actually stone Stephen to death. 
Uh, it doesn't mean what it means today, to stone somebody. <laughs> now, back then, it meant you took up physical stones and threw them at the person until their bones were crushed and they died. That's exactly what happened it's a hor- to Stephen. It's a horrible death. But that turned out for more, uh, an opportunity for more overflow, didn't it? Because in chapter, five, or sorry, chapter 7, verse 55 through 56, uh, he gets a vision, a vision of heaven opened up and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of the Father. He gets this incredible vision and he gets to share that with his dying breath to the people of God. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, Stephen's, the generosity of his heart uh, in his martyrdom by letting himself be killed like that, that reveals, once again, the generous heart of God. Now, now I know I, I, several of you already knew this a few minutes ago that you don't like where this message is going. Now you're really not going to like this. Stephen's martyrdom, it's when somebody dies for God, Stephen's martyrdom was actually an opportunity to communicate to the world, I choose Jesus as king, and I choose him over all the other things that could be my king. And what does that tell the world? Jesus is a better king than anything else you or I could serve. Jesus is a better king than any of the idols that you cling to. Jesus is a better king. He cares for you more. He protects you more. He watches out for you more. He governs the universe better than any of the other things you and I are looking to to govern our little universes. Better than life. Thank you. Chapter uh, uh, Psalm 63, his loving kindness is better than than life. Like I said earlier, God could give you a mountain of gold, he could give you an ocean of happiness, and that would pale in comparison to the gift of himself in giving you Jesus as king. And when we are martyred, when we, we are telling the world it's better to serve Jesus, I'm, I'm willing to give up even this life to serve King Jesus. And, of course, ever since then, we've had this saying, Throughout uh, Christian history, this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the, tr- of the church. We find out that flows right into the next chapter because at the end of this, um, we find out who was watching this. It was Paul. And that sowed a seed into his life, became the most powerful, important, uh, in the first century evangelist uh, in, in the first century. Um, <clears throat> okay, so more overflow. Now, chapter 8. Um, we see, where do we see overflow in chapter 8? Uh, well, Philip preaches in Samaria. He's, he's finally, uh, Jesus had told them to go to Samaria, but they'd all been staying clustered around Jerusalem uh, and, and totally talking to Jews, and now they're talking to these half-Jews, the Samaritans. Um, uh, Philip finally actually does that, and then a little bit later in chapter 8, Peter and John go down and they pray for the Samaritans to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So finally, the gospel is now getting past, uh, getting beyond the Jews, just like Jesus said it was supposed to. Uh, And then we see in chapter 8, verses 25 through 38, uh, the Ethiopian, first foreigner, first total non-Jew. And not only is he a foreigner, he's also a eunuch, which Pastor Steve talks a lot about that in his message on chapter 8. So this this was huge. Now now these people who uh, eunuchs were considered unacceptable before God, now are finally being accepted and included. Okay? Um, And and a foreigner, a a non-Jew. But there's resistance, isn't there? In chapter 8, verses 19 through 23, we discover this, this uh, person named Simon. He's a sorcerer. Um, and uh, what we, and, and, and his, his biggest problem wasn't even the sorcery. The biggest problem 
was that it's according uh, to this passage here, he tried to obtain the gift of God with money. Rather than receive the gift of God as a gift freely from God, he tries to obtain it with money. But even this, turn, even this resistance turns into an opportunity for more overflow. Because we move on to the next chapter, chapter 9, and right there we see Paul's dramatic conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus. Um, but there's resistance to that, isn't there? Okay, In chapter 9, verse 13, after his conversion, God comes and tells Ananias to go talk to Paul. What, is Paul, or what does Ananias do? Ananias is, is fearful at first. That's a kind of resistance. He's sort of resisting God. Chapter 9, verse 13. And then the Christians in chapter 9, verse 21, Christians are reluctant. They're like, ah, Paul, I don't know. Um, so they're reluctant. And then in chapter 9, verses 23 through 24, we find out that there is actually a plot to kill Paul. Okay, and there's a whole bunch of plots to kill Paul later on. But here's the first one he has to face. But this opposition turns into, guess what? An opportunity for more overflow. Because Paul, it says in verse 20, Paul immediately begins proclaiming Jesus in chapter uh, 9, verse 20. And then in 22, uh, he has increasing success um, uh, in sharing the gospel. And then in chapter 9, verses 25 through 30, it says he escapes from Damascus, and he makes a connection with the Jerusalem church. And so the church is now getting connected. And uh, in verse 31, actually says that the church gets to enjoy some peace for a season. Um, and then more overflow with Peter um, later in that chapter, um, and we see uh, a resurrection. Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, she gets resurrected by God through, uh, through Peter's prayer in verses 36 through 41. And then according to verses 35 and 42, there's more conversions, okay? So are you guys seeing the pattern? Are you seeing the pattern? There's overflow from God, initiated by God, started by God, given by God, in first his giving of himself through Jesus Christ, giving of himself through the Holy Spirit. God keeps giving, giving, giving. There's resistance, but then the resistance turns into opportunity for more overflow. You guys are following with me, okay? All right, Josh, I'm going to have Josh come back up. <clears throat> Josh is going to lead us another song, and this song is going to give us a chance to consider what I've just presented before you and ask God, okay, God, where, am I, where, where is the overflow in my life? Would you please show me the overflow? And it's also going to give us the chance to ask God, where am I resisting? Every time overflow came, came resistance. Guess what? Some of that resistance comes from inside of us. Actually, and, and, and this, so, so we're going to spend some time as we sing considering that, and then I'm going to instruct us right after that song of what, what we're going to do next with that. So, all right. Thank you. With Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. All right. Go ahead and... Have a seat just briefly. I want, I, want to, I want to talk now about what we're going to do to respond to what we've just been talking about in the book of Acts. What we're going to, how to respond to the overflow of God. So most of you should have grabbed this little pamphlet on your way in. This little thing, it says opportunities on the front. A little picture of three crosses and 
That's supposed to be an overflow. <laughs> that little thing is supposed to be a spring of water overflowing. <clears throat> um, uh, so <clears throat> opportunities. Um, we are at a crossroads at this church. In many ways, our whole culture is at a crossroads. The whole church, universal, is at a crossroads. Bethel Christian Fellowship is at a crossroads. And at those crossroads, we could either press in or we could back off. I know God's calling me to press in. I, I don't know what he's saying to you personally, but I have a suspicion if you're here this morning, you're supposed to hear God's calling you to press in also. We've had all kinds of opportunities to uh, pull ourselves away, <laughs> to be dragged away in the last two years. But I think God's calling us to press in right now. So here's some opportunities to press in. Um, uh, during this season of Lent, first little, right under the word opportunities, it says practice witnessing the overflow. If you and I are going to press in, we need our eyes open to God's overflow. Just like when I, when I walked us through the book of Acts, we need, we need our eyes open to how the overflow is happening. Because the reality is, whether it's circumstances around us, whether it's what's going on inside of us, most of the time our eyes are closed to the overflow. Would you, a few of you grudgingly agree? I, I know mine are many, many times. Most of, most of my hardest days are because those are days I'm just, I'm not seeing the overflow of God. So I need to practice having my eyes open to the overflow. Okay? That's what we're doing for these 40 years. We're prep for these 40 years. Whew. 40 days. These 40, yeah. Some, amen. 40 years. Yeah, rest of your head. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but for, for sure, these 40 years, we're deliberately practicing opening our eyes to the overflow of God. So what we're going to do is every day, um, uh, I, my challenge to you is to either on, in a journal or, in a, or, or some of you, if you don't, journals don't work for you, that's fine. Some way, deliberately try to notice how God is blessing you, okay? And if, it's, if, it, if, it's, if, it's, if you can't think of anything, thank God for breath, okay? <laughs> thank God that you're alive. <laughs> thank God that you're having, anyway, you, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, most of us could, and actually, I bet all, I, I know, I know all of everyone in this room. It's only uh, 11 in the morning. Every single one of you probably has a list, a, a list of two dozen items already to thank God for just today. Now, most of you can maybe think of two or three right now. I bet if you spent a few minutes on it, you, you would have like a dozen items, two dozen items, okay? All right, so what we're going to do when we gather together is, if you want to, nobody has to do this, but on the Sundays we gather together, some of you might be wondering, what on earth is going on over here? All right? This is a big cup of gratitude. All right? This is a cup of gratitude. We got I found this is our biggest pot back here in the church kitchen. Um, and what we're going to do is on Sundays, we're, well, first off, by Easter, we're going to try to fill this thing up with these little blue slips of paper. And they're blue. It's supposed to remind you of water overflowing. Okay, you guys get that. Um, and you're going to write down, you don't have to again, I'm just saying if you want to, write down at least one area where you are seeing the overflow of God in your life, okay? And you're going to deposit in here. We'll see if we fill it up. If we have to remove all the, this is supposed to be water spewing out, I know. Don't, don't make fun of me for how ugly it looks. Um, 
But I tried. Thank you. I tried. Tried. All right. <clears throat> um, but you get the idea. Water's gushing out. Okay. And we're going to see if we can we can have uh, it gushing out by Easter with these little blue slips of paper. Okay. I have a feeling that's possible. Um, all right. The second thing it says on there is practice witnessing to the overflow. When Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he, he promised the Holy Spirit was going to come. The power of the Holy Spirit was going to come. Anyone know why the power was going to come? To be witnesses. Okay? So the power wasn't going to come to make you feel better about yourself. Power wasn't going to come to give you an easier life. The power wasn't going to come to be a protective bubble to protect you from all kinds of bad things. The power is going to come for you and I to be witnesses to this overflow. Okay, now, some of us are going to say, but I'm not an evangelist. That is the worst thing you could possibly ask me to do. Okay, so the thing about being a witness is you don't have to sit somebody down and explain the whole gospel to them like Peter did. Being a witness is just somebody who sees something. And what you and I are going to practice doing, and I, I wrote on there just once a week, just try it, just once a week, a little experiment, just try it once a week. You and I are going to try to share with somebody one way we saw the overflow of God in our life. Okay, now it doesn't have to be all weird and full of, you know, uh, long explanations. Most people tune you out after, you know, they hear you use the word blessed. But, uh, but in, you're going to share with somebody at least once a week, I, you know, God did something amazing in my life this week. Uh, I, 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 again, it doesn't have to be the whole gospel, but what, what we're doing is we're pointing people uh, to, to the God who, who is the source of all the overflow, okay? And it can be just a little, like, God did something really cool in my life today. Uh, and it could be, you know, God woke me up this morning, okay? It could, it could be so many things. So the things that we are witnessing in the first practice, we're actually going to try to share at least, at least once a week. And I have a feeling some of you are going to actually be brave and try to do it more than just once a week. But I bet I can challenge all of you, but all of you can share with somebody at least one way you see blessing in God's life. Okay, third thing it says on there, practice lament. Okay, lament just means to uh, express sorrow over something that is sorrowful. We lament when somebody dies. Uh, we, we lament when we lose something. Um, well, um, as I said earlier, that resistance that we see, um, it doesn't just happen. The resistance isn't just around us. Resistance is often inside of us. And so uh, one of God's solutions for dealing with that, for coping with that, that loss, that, sad, that brokenness around us or inside of us, is to lament. The church has been practicing lament for 2,000 years. And, uh, and, and if it's some, whether it's something outside of you that's causing you to lament, maybe something, a political situation, maybe you know, world events, maybe something happening in your neighborhood, maybe something happening in your family, uh, or if it's brokenness that you see inside of you, um, any of that resistance to the overflow you see inside of you, um, first off, every day, what I hope you either with a journal or something, you very deliberately and intentionally say, God, um, I, I, I just want to express my sorrow and my, my sadness over this, okay? And then on Sundays, if you want to, there's these little red pieces of paper, and uh, they're red because they're supposed to remind you of blood, okay? 
guys following me? And, um, and then you're going to write on here uh, your cause of lament, whether, whether it's something happening around you or something that you see inside of you. And there's these little tacks here, and you're going to nail that lament to the cross. <clears throat> because that's what we're supposed to do with lament. That's what we're supposed to do with our brokenness. That's what we're supposed to do with the brokenness around us. The brokenness around us isn't just going to get solved and fixed by us working really hard. It's not, the brokenness inside of us isn't going to get solved just by us working really hard. The brokenness inside and around us is going to get solved as we bring it to the cross. Okay? And so what we're doing for these 40 days is we're deliberately practicing that. And for those of us who are visual and tactile like me, you got this thing where you can practice doing it, okay? And then on non-Sundays, you can, you can write it down in a journal or something. I, I've seen people do this in their own homes. Like, I got this idea from uh, a friend of mine who has, like, a, had a little cross, and uh, during Lent, they just put post-it notes all over, over that little cross of, uh, uh, of what they were lamenting. So, okay, um, open this up. And another thing, for the last 2,000 years, the church has been practicing is they've been practicing, they, when, when, during Lent especially, but uh, when times get tough, they've been practicing gathering. And we've had two years of all kinds of resistance to us gathering. And what I, this crossroads are at, I, what I, how I want to encourage you is, I, I think it's time to press in to gathering. Okay, both it's getting safer out there as the virus numbers recede, um, but <clears throat> our souls desperately need to gather. And <clears throat> so we're going to start the gathering this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Um, uh, you'll hear more about what's, when you come to Ash Wednesday, what, what that is. I'm not going to explain it all now, but one of the things that happen is we, we smear in a cross shape, we smear some ashes on your forehead and what we're doing in that, we are anointing you and commissioning you to go and lament with Jesus uh, about the darkness you see around you and inside of you. And also, we're commissioning you to, uh, see, to witness the overflow of God and to be a witness to the overflow of God. So, so it's, a, it's, it's a powerful time to gather because you're actually getting commissioned by the church to go do this lamenting and this witnessing. Um, then, for those of you for whom, uh, you, we got a whole bunch of s uh, small groups in this church. Many of you are a part of it. Many of you are a little scared to be a part of a short, of, of, a, of a small group because you're like, oh, that's too much of a commitment. So, just for Lent, we set up these three short-term small groups. Uh, there's one on uh, Wednesdays, one on Thursdays, one on Fridays. And um, you've got the contact information uh, right there for those short-term groups. They're just meeting during Lent. And so, if you're like, I want to try out a small group. I don't want to commit my whole life, the rest of my life to something. I just, I don't even know if I can do that. Uh, but I can join one of these short-term groups, okay? Uh, then, we, of course, we've got a bunch of long-term groups. And these long-term groups would, they've been going on. Some of these have been going on for decades, by the way. Uh, they've been going on for a while. But these are the groups that would love to have you join them. You're like, but I've never been. I don't really know anybody in the group. What if they don't like me? What if they pick their noses? I just, I, I don't know. But... Um, whatever it is, uh, th these groups would love to have you. I can't promise that they're not going to pick their noses, but they're going to love you, okay? They're going to love you on the way. 
Um, and, and, and all of these groups, except for the last one that meets on Sundays, all of these groups are going to be using this little booklet uh, we designed, uh, Lenten Small Groups, and the, it's entitled Becoming a Witness of God's Overflow. Um, and what they're going to do with these groups is they're going to have a focused study on Acts chapters 10 through 14. Those are the chapters we're going to look at during Lent, Acts chapters 10 through 14. Um, and uh, and we're going to do we're going to kind of uh, dig deeper into that. Now, to get the most out of those sermons we're going to do on Acts chapters 10 through 14 in the upcoming weeks, get the most out of it is to read ahead of time. I don't know if anyone's if you if you haven't done that before. You're going to get so much out, more out of the sermon and so much out of these small groups if you read the chapter ahead of time. Um, but anyway, so, so that's what the, the groups are going to use these. You don't have to be a part of the group to, use, to grab one of these. There's, there's extra ones. You can grab one. Just use it on your own. That's fine. But you're going to get the most out of it if you join with um, one of these small groups. Okay. And then I'm almost done. I promise. He's like, this guy does not stop talking. All right. Uh, right underneath uh, where it says uh, practice gathering, practice fasting. Now, you can read, there's a little sort of explanation of fasting right there. Um, people get really scared of fasting. Um, uh, th there's tons and tons and tons of benefits, both health-wise, and, and uh, I'm not going to go into all those right now. Um, but one of the reasons why we fast is food can be one of our biggest distractions. It can distract us from seeing the overflow, and it can distract us from truly lamenting. Um, and both ways, the distract... Now, that's not saying food is bad. Food is a great gift of God. Uh, uh, it is a huge, huge, huge gift of God. <laughs> but, um, but to deliberately set aside maybe a meal or a certain kind of food, um, uh, especially one that's been especially distracting to you, um, and, and, and then practicing, witnessing the overflow and practicing... Uh, lamenting. Um, so there's a little explanation, just some tips. Keep it simple and moderate. Do not make this thing complex. Uh, and moderate, that's key. We don't fast. To, no, nobody here is getting a badge for their amazing job fasting, okay? Just know that yourself right now. Um, and keep it time limited, um, <clears throat> especially if you haven't fasted before. And then the last line there, it says, use the time and energy freed up by fasting to pray. And Turn it to the back of this little pamphlet. It says, practice prayer. Prayer is your friend, especially during Lent. Your friend all the time, but especially during Lent. It's in prayer that we most witness the overflow of God. It's in prayer that we're most able to get in touch with lamenting. Um, you'll notice there's these ongoing prayer meetings. Prayer meetings we've been having, some of these have been lasting, have lasted for decades, actually, here at BCF. Here at BCF, Prayer is probably the most important thing we do. We say over and over again, it's the atmosphere in which we do all of our ministry. Um, it, it's in prayer. We get all of the inspiration, all the power, all the strength to do anything that we do. Uh, it's where you get your strength and energy to, to follow Jesus. Um, so there's these ongoing prayer meetings. Um, most of them are happening on Thursdays. Th Thursdays uh, for decades now have been this day we've set aside for prayer at BCF. Um, Sunday, or sorry, it's Thursday morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, there's a Zoom-only prayer meeting. Um, there's a link there. You also get the links uh, weekly in the email we send you all. At noon, there is a in-person and Zoom meeting. It's the same. We, we do a hybrid. It's a, you know, it works. Uh, and <laughs> so uh, that's, that's happening um, every Thursday um, uh, at noon. And then on Fridays at 7 p.m., there's an in-person prayer meeting here at the church. Um, 
And then, for those of you who are like, I don't want to join a prayer meeting that's been on for decades. That sounds horrible. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we've got this little, on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., just during Lent, just during Lent, we've got this uh, intro to prayer. And I'm not even going to call it a class. I'm not even going to call it a, a prayer meeting. It's going to be a combination of you're going to learn some things, you're going to practice some things, um, you'll have your horizons opened about prayer. Um, uh, myself, Cherry Monge, uh, Miss Sylvia Agbo, our children's director, the three of us are going to be teaching it and leading it, and we would love to have you join us Thursday nights at 7 p.m., uh, you can join us by Zoom, or you can join us in person. Um, it's a great intro to prayer. Um, and then, I'm really excited about this, um, on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., Zoom only, uh, Ms. Cherry Monge is going to be leading us in, um, it, she's calling it the Cup of Gratitude. So where you got the idea, call this the Cup of Gratitude. And she's going to lead us in de the deliberate practice of sharing God's joy with one another. It's one thing to write it down in a journal. It's another thing to write it on a piece of paper and put it in there. It's an, even, it, it's an even greater thing than to share that joy with other people and to do it in a very deliberate way. And Cherry Monge is going to lead us in that on Zoom. That's a Zoom only. And lastly, there is going to be a retreat, a prayer retreat at the end of Lent, just before Easter, Saturday, April 9th, uh, to be announced where that's located, but um, it's $20. Uh, that's going to be in-person only. So, whew. People, you guys are like, wait a second. You already did the announcements, and now you're doing announcements again. That's not fair. That's double dipping. It's too many announcements. That's, that's unfair. Okay, so uh, Josh, come on up. We are going to um, open our hearts in these, these closing songs. We're going to open our hearts to however God might want to lead us in this coming season. And, uh, and I encourage you to come join us for Ash Wednesday, um, this Wednesday, and get commissioned to go and be a witness, get commissioned to lament, get commissioned to uh, discover the resurrection power of Jesus in your life. So now, with the overflowing grace of God our Father, the overflowing grace, love of our Lord Jesus Christ and the overflowing empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Go from here, radiate his life and joy, make disciples of all nations, walk as a house of prayer for all nations to the glory of God.